0: Chapter Nineteen of the Fighting Shepherdess. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fighting Shepherdess by Caroline Lockhart. Chapter Nineteen An Old, Old Friend. Bowers lay slumbering tranquilly in the shade of the wagon his saddle-blanket beneath him, and his folded arms for a pillow as he slept on his face. The herd chewed its cud drowsily under the quaking asp nearby. Out of the midday heat, and away from the pestiferous flies, while under a bush not far from the wagon, a lamb lay with eyes half-closed, wagging its narrow jaw and grinding its sharp white teeth noisily quite as though some thought had come to it forcibly. The lamb got up and stood regarding Bowers reflectively, with its soft black eyes. Then it swallowed its cud with a gulp, and making a run the length of the herder's legs and spine, planted its forefeet in his neck, where it stopped. "'Mary, you quit that!' Bowers murmured crossly. The lamb merely reached down, and chewed energetically on Bowers's ear. "'Confound you! Can't you let a feller sleep?' The hand that pushed the lamb away was gentle, in spite of the exasperation of his tone. The lamb backed away, eyed him attentively for several minutes as he lay prostrate, and then, quite as though a tightly-coiled spring had been released, leaped into the air, and landed with all four feet bunched in the small of Bowers's back. Bowers sat up and said complainingly as he grabbed the lamb by the wool and drew it towards him. "'There ain't a minute's peace when you're awake, Mary. If I had done what I ought to, I'd work ye you over. You're the worst nuisance of a bum lamb ever raised on canned milk.' The lamb, which Bowers had named, regardless of its sex, stood motionless with bliss as he rubbed the base of what would someday probably be as fine a pair of horns as ever grew on a buck. At present they were soft, and not more than an inch and a half in length, as they sprouted through its dingy wool. Thin in the shoulders and rump, yet Mary's sides were distended until their contour resembled that of a toy balloon inflated to the bursting point. Now as the lamb's long white lashes drooped, until he seemed about to go to sleep and fall down under Bower's soothing ministrations. The latter continued the one-sided conversation, which was part of their daily life together. "'You're a smart sheep, Mary. No getting away from it. But you're a torment, and you ain't got no gratitude. Where you'd been if I hadn't heard you blatting and went after you? A coyote would have catched you before sundown. And ain't I been a mother to you giving up all my airtight milk to feed you, warming it for you, and packing you round like you was a million-dollar baby so the bobcats wouldn't get you. Can you deny it? And this is my thanks for it. Wake me up, walking on me, to say nothing of mornings when you start jumping on my teepee, making a toboggan slide out of it, before any other sheep is stirring. Ain't you no conscience at all, Mary?' Ma. Nah. The quavering plaintive bleat evoked a look of admiration. "'Oh, you have, have you? I more than half believe you know what I'm saying. You're some sheep, Mary, and if you just stick around with me till you're growed, I'll make a man out of you. How'd you like a cigarette?' Ma. Ah. Bowers chuckled. "'Wait till I have my smoke, and then you can have yourn, young fella. He rolled and smoked half a cigarette, while the lamb stood looking up into his face wistfully. "'I'll just knock the fire out for you first, then you can have your whack out of it.' He shook the tobacco from the paper into his hand, and the lamb ate it to the last fleck with gusto. Bowers cried gleefully, "'You're a regular roughneck, Mary, doggone you. As you might say, you ain't no lady.' The herder laughed aloud at his witticism, and might have rambled on for some time longer if the crashing of brush had not attracted his attention. A man on horseback was picking his way through the quaking asp, and Bowers awaited his approach with keen interest. "'How are you?' the stranger nodded. "'Won't you get off?' Bowers strained his eye. To read the brand on the shoulder of the horse, the man turned loose. But it told him nothing. While the stranger squatted on his heel, Bowers rubbed Mary's horns during an interval of unembarrassed silence. Bum? inquired the stranger, eyeing Mary with a look which could not be called admiring. Yup, the garrulous Bowers had become suddenly recitant. The notion was growing that he did not like his visitor. He asked finally, Et yet? yet Not since daylight. I seen your teepee up toward the top and thought maybe I could locate your wagon and get dinner. I feed anybody that's hungry, Bowers replied ambiguously. The stranger asked innocently, Who does this outfit belong to? Miss Kate Prentice owns this brand. Oh, the cheap queen? Bowers' head swung as though on a pivot. What did you say? I heerd that's what they call her. Bowers' eyes narrowed as he answered, "Not in my hearin." Then he added, "Nobody can knock the outfit I'm workin' for and eat their grub while they're doin' it, sabe." "Don't knows I blame you," the stranger conciliated. "I'll go cook," said Bowers, shortly getting up. The stranger urged politely, "Don't do nothin' extra on my account." "I ain't goin' to," Bowers responded. "If we had some ham." We'd have some ham and eggs, if we had eggs. Do you like turnips? I can eat them. My middle name is Turnips, said Bowers. I always cook about a bushel. The look that his guest sent after him was not pleasant, if Bowers had chanced to see it. But since he did not, he was in a somewhat better humor by the time he hung out of the wagon and called with a degree of cordiality. Come and get it. The visitor arose with alacrity. Want a wash? The stranger inspected a pair of hands that looked as if they had been greasing axles. Nah, ain't very dirty. Grab a root and pull, Bowers urged, with all the hospitality he could inject into his voice, as his guest squeezed in between the table and the sideboard. Just bog down in that there honey, partner. It's something special. Cottonwood blossoms and alfalfi. "'and here's the turnips.' Conversation was suspended until a pan of biscuits had vanished along with the fried mutton, when Bowers, feeling immeasurably better-natured, inquired sociably as he passed the broom. "'Where have I seen you before, fella? Your countenance seems kind of familiar.' The stranger looked up quickly. "'I don't think it. I'm a long way off my own range.' He averted his eyes from Bowers' puzzled, inquiring gaze and focused his attention upon the business of extracting a suitable straw from the politely tendered broom. When he had found one to his liking, he leaned back and operated with a large air of nonchalance. "'You're fixed pretty comfortable here,' he commented, as his roving eye took in the interior of the wagon. "'Tain't bad,' Bowers agreed prying into the broom for a straw that was clean, comparatively. "'Is them all kin a yourn?' The stranger pointed to a wire rack suspended from a nail on the opposite side of the wagon in which it was thrust some two dozen photographs, fly specked and yellow, while the cut of the subject's clothes bore additional evidence of their antiquity. "'Lord, no, I don't know none of them. There was a couple of traveling photographers, Got snowed up here several years ago, and I bought ten dollars worth of old pictures often for company. I got em all named, and it's real entertainin settin here evenins makin up yarns about em That's more'n half true, maybe Miss Taylor over to Happy Wigwam says I'm kind of a medium, Glancing at his guest, he observed that his eyes were fixed intently upon a photograph in the center, and his expression was so peculiar that Bowers asked curiously. "'Are you a friend of yours in my gallery?' "'Not to say friend, exactly,' was the dry answer. "'But what for a yarn have you made up about that feller?' "'Well, sir,' Bowers said whimsically, "'I'm sorry to tell you, but that feller had a bad ending. "'He had everything done for him, too, good raisin, "'and an education, but it was all wasted.' That horse there was, as you might say, his undoing. It was just fast enough to be beat everywhere he run him. But he kept on backing him till it broke him. No, sir, he hadn't a dollar. Lost everything his old man left him, and then took to drinking. His wife quit him, and his only child died calling for its father. After that he drunk harder than ever, and finally died in the asylum, thinking he was Marcus Daly he demanded eagerly, "'How close have I come to it?' "'Knowin' what I know, it makes me creepy sitting here listening. "'Shaw, I ain't that good, am I?' Bowers looked his pleasure at the tribute. "'Good, ironically. You ought to sew spangles on your shirt and wear earrings and get you a fortune-telling wagon. You're right about everything, except that the horse was never beat while he owned him.' and he winned about $20,000 on him. And the last time I saw the fella, he could buy 16 outfits like this one without cramping him. And instead of going to the asylum, they sent him to the State Senate. Bowers laughed loudly to cover his annoyance at having bitten. It comes about queer, though, he said, you knowin' him. The stranger seemed to check an impulse to say something further. Instead, he volunteered to wipe the dishes. "'No, you go out and set in the shade. "'It's cooler.' "'The truth was, Bowers did not want the man in the wagon, "'for his first feeling of mistrust and antagonism "'had returned even stronger. "'That feller's liable to pick up something "'and make off with it,' he mused, "'as the stranger obeyed without further urging. "'I sure have saw those square eyes of his somewhere. "'Maybe you'll come to me if I keep on thinking.' "'In the meantime, the visitor dragged Bowers' his saddle blanket into the shade of the wagon and stretched himself upon it. Pulling his hat over his eyes, he was soon dozing. Bowers, rattling the plates and pans inside the wagon, suddenly bethought himself of Mary. What was the lamb doing, not to be about his feet begging for the condensed milk which he always prepared for it when his own meal was finished? He flirted the water from his hands and hung out the doorway. Mary, a few feet from the unconscious stranger, was regarding him with the gentle, speculative look which Bowers knew to presage mischief. It was not difficult to interpret Mary's intention, and Bowers was fully aware that it was his duty either to warn the sleeper or reprimand Mary. His eyes, however, had the fondness of a doting parent who takes a secret pride in his offspring's naughtiness as he watched Mary. He did not like the stranger anyhow, and the incident of the photograph still rankled. The smart aleck, he murmured, grinning. It won't hurt him. The lamb backed off a little, made a run, and with its four feet bunched, landed in the pit of the stranger's stomach. With an explosive grunt, the stranger's knees and chin came together like the sudden closing of a large pocket knife. In spite of himself, Bowers snickered, but his grin faded at the expression which came to the stranger's face when he realized the cause of his painful awakening. It was devilish, nothing less than appalling, in its ferocity. Bowers had seen rage before, but the peculiar fiendishness of the man's expression, not knowing himself observed, fascinated him. The lamb had backed off for another run when the stranger jumped for it, Bowers called sharply. "'Don't touch that little sheep, partner.' The answer was snarled through white teeth. "'I'm going to kick its slats in. I'm going to break every bone in its body.' "'I wouldn't advise nothing like that. Come here, Mary.' Bowers endeavored to speak calmly, but he was seized with a tremulous excitement when he saw that the stranger intended to carry out his threat. "'I'll pay you for it,' he panted as he tried to catch the lamb, but I'm aimin' to kill that knothead. Bowers dried his hands on his overalls and stepped inside the wagon. He returned with his shotgun. "'And I aim to blow the top of your head off, if you try,' Bowers said, breathing heavily. "'That little innocent sheep don't mean no harm to nobody. Since we're speakin' plain, I don't like you no how. I don't like the way you act. I don't like the way you talk. "'I don't like the way your face grows on you. "'I don't like nothing about you. "'And if I never see you again, it'll be soon enough. "'You'd better go while I'm calm, "'for when I gets mad, I breaks in two in the middle "'and flies both ways.' Panting from his chase, the stranger stopped and stood looking at Bowers in baffled fury. Then he turned sharply on his heel, caught his horse, and swung into the saddle. He hesitated for the part of a second before spurring his horse a little closer. "'You can take a message to your boss, you locoed sheep Tell her it's from an old friend that knew her when she was kicking in her cradle. Show her that photograph of the fella with the running horse, and tell her I said it was the picture of her father, and that he's scoured the country for her, spending more money to locate her than she'll make if she wrangles woolies till she's a hundred tell her a telegram, would bring him in twenty-four hours, on a special, probably. Give her that message, along with the love of an old, old friend that was well acquainted with her at the San Couli. He laughed mockingly, and with a malevolent look at Bowers plunged into the quaking asp and vanished. Bowers stared after him, open-mouthed and round-eyed. He had placed his visitor... The fella that smelled just like an Indian teepee in the drugstore that night, Mormon Joe, was murdered. The discovery that his visitor was the malodorous stranger of the drugstore impressed Bowers far more than his mocking message to Kate concerning her father. That might or might not be true, but he was entirely sure about the other. His first impulse was to deliver the message, but upon second thought, He decided that nothing would be accomplished by it, and it might disturb her. He argued that with a range war pending, she already had enough worries, if he could only get word to Teeters somehow, or Lingle even, to keep a lookout for the fella. But since he was many miles off the line of travel, and he dared not leave his sheep, there was small chance of notifying either. It was a good many days before the incident was out of Bowers' mind for any length of time. He kept the shotgun handy, and was on alert constantly, listening, searching the surrounding country for a moving object, and muttering frequently. What was he doing here, anyhow, Moggin' around the mountains, coming from nowhere, going nowhere? But a month passed, and nothing happened, either in Bowers' camp or at the other's. Since the warning had implied that any attempt to move further would be stopped immediately, and yet all the wagons were now well up the mountain, both Kate and Bowers concluded that the threatening scrawl was intended only to annoy her. "'Ma!' Mary bleated, like a fretful, teething child, and held up his head for Bowers to rub the feverish horns as his foster parent sat on a box "'decide the wagon one lazy afternoon. "'I declare, Mary, "'I'll be most glad when them horns cut through "'as if they'd growed on me. "'I could raise a baby by hand "'thout any more trouble than it took to bring you up.' "'The lamb stood stock still "'as he yielded to his importunities, "'and Bowers continued whimsically. "'I've been a father and a mother to you, Mary, "'and you might have been an orphan "'through your own orneriness.' "'if I hadn't thrown down on that fella pretty pronto. "'No denying, twould have made a preacher peevish "'to have you land in the pit of his stomach "'with them sharp hoofs of yours. "'But you're only an innocent little sheep, "'and there wasn't no sense in his trying to stomp on you. "'Well, I gotta be stirring up them woolies. "'Sorry I gotta tie you, "'but you're getting such a darned nuisance "'with playing half the night and sliding down my teepee I'll give you a big feed when I come down in the morning. So say your prayers and go to bed like a good lamb, Orta. Bowers tied Mary to the wagon wheel, and with a final rub and pat and admonition left the lamb to start the herd feeding toward their bedground on the summit. Come out of that mother, Biddies, better start now and go to fillin' up. I want them children of yours to weigh sixty pounds each come fall. The sheep, which had been lying in the shade or standing in a circle with their heads together as protection against the flies, obeyed slowly, and Bowers followed as they grazed their way toward his teepee, gleaming white among the rocks on the top of the mountain. Occasionally he stopped to pick up something and examine it, a curious pebble, a rock that might make his fortune, a bit of gray moss, which always made him wonder what there was about it, dry as punk, brittle and tasteless, to make sheep prefer it, to far better feed, to his notion, salt sage, black sage, greasewood, and even cactus with the thorns pawed off. No account for sheep, anyway. The better you knew them, the less you understood them. Get to the high hills, sister. He tossed a pebble at a lagging ewe. Want to feed all day in the same spot? Climb there, granny. "'Better look out, or you'll get thrown in with the gummers "'and shipped before you know it.'" While the sheep fed slowly toward the summit, Bowers sauntered after. Tall, lank, neutral-tinted, his thoughts going round and round in the groove, peculiar to herders. The sheep before him, and their individual characteristics, the condition of the range, the weather, religion, the wickedness of high society, the items on the next list, he would send to the mail-order house in Chicago. And so the afternoon passed, as had hundreds like it in Bowers's life, until he sat down finally on a rock to watch the rays of the setting sun paint the clouds in ever-changing colors and lose himself in reflections, studying the gorgeous sea surrounding him. It would be a great place up there for a feller's soul to float, provided he had one. Resting a while in that yeller one, or the rose-colored one up yonder, or taking a dip into the hazy purple and disappearing. Personally, he told himself, he believed that when he was dead, he was dead as a knit, and had never seen anything about dying folks to make him think otherwise. That scissor bill from back east in Iowa that died of heart failure just slipped and slid off his chair, slow and easy, like a sack of bran. He didn't show in his eyes any vision of future glory, when he stretched on the floor, behind the stove in the bunkhouse, and closed them for good. Sometimes they kicked and struggled, like pisoned sheep in their suffering, and again they went off easy and comfortable, but without any glimpse of Paradise brightening their countenances, so far as he could notice. If he had a soul, all right. If he didn't, all right. That's the way he figured it. The lead sheep started for the bed ground. Kick up your dust piles good, Mother biddies, and get comfortable. Hurry up and blow out your lights, so I can get to my reading. The light had faded, and the dingy gray-white backs became indistinguishable from the rounded tops of the sagebrush as night came upon the mountain. With much sniffing, bleeding, asthmatic coughing, and crackling of small split hoofs, each sheep settled itself in practically the same little hollow it had previously pawed out to fit itself. A soft rumble came from the band as they stirred in their little wallows. Then Bowers fired a barrel of his shotgun into the air as a reminder to possible coyotes in the rim rocks that he was present, and lighted the lantern in his teepee. "'I'll have to wash that chimney in a couple of years,' he commented, as he set the lantern down and reached for a worn and tattered mail-order catalogue in the corner. Fumbling under his pillow, he produced the stub of a pencil and tablet, after which, crossed leg on his blankets and sugan, he poured over the catalogue. Jewelry, clothing, cooking utensils— and upholstered furniture were on the list which Bowers, with corrugated forehead and much chewing of the pencil, made out laboriously. When the amount reached $365, he hesitated over a further expenditure of nine for a manicure set and a pair of pink satin sleeve holders. That was a good deal of money to spend in one evening. "'Thunder,' he finally said recklessly, no use to deny myself. I ain't going to send it anyway. Having written it all in proper form and affixed his signature, he folded the paper and slipped it under his bed, along with some three dozen other such orders. That never got any farther. This was Bowers's evening diversion, one in which he experienced all the thrill of purchasing without the pain of paying. He entertained a peculiar feeling of friendship for the house whose catalogue had helped him through the long winter evenings when night came at four and the interminable spells of wet weather so that when he sent a bona fide order to chicago he never failed to inquire as to the health of each member of the firm and informed them that his own was excellent at the time of writing adding such items concerning the condition of the range and stock as he thought would interest them Bowers now slipped the lantern inside a flour sack, went outside in his stocking feet, and wedged the lantern between two rocks. The light puzzled coyotes, according to his theory, and gave them something to think about, besides getting into his sheep. When he had folded his trousers under his head, his preparations for the night were complete, and, this accomplished, the almost immediate expulsion of his breath in little puffs was proof enough that he was sleeping the peaceful sleep of the carefree. A brisk breeze came at intervals to sway the teepee and snap the loose flaps. Sometimes a lamb bleated in a sleepy tremolo. Occasionally, instead of puffing, Bowers snorted, but mostly it was still as an uninhabited world up there on the tip-top of the Rockies. Suddenly, Bowers half sprang from his blankets, wide awake, alert, listening intently. He had a notion that a sound had awakened him, something foreign, unfamiliar. Holding his breath, he strained his ears for a repetition. Everything was still. He stepped outside lightly. The sheep lay on their bed ground, quiet and contented. Had he been dreaming? It must be. Too much shortening in the dough gods, probably. He'd have to stir up a batch of light bread tomorrow. It was curious, though, that strong impression of having heard something. He returned to his blankets and was puffing again almost immediately. It was not much after half-past three when the first ewe got up, bleated for her lamb, and moved off slowly. Others rose, stood for a moment, as though to get the sleep out of their eyes, and followed her example. ewes bleated for their lambs, lambs for their mothers, until quavering calls in many keys made a din to awaken any sleeper, while the whole mass of dingy, rounded, woolly backs started moving from the bed-ground. like angels,' Bowers muttered, as he came out of the teepee, dressed in his erstwhile pillow, to see the sheep spreading out before him. He extinguished the lantern, replaced it in the tepee, and tied the flap, while the faint gray streak in the east grew brighter. Hooey, you pintle gypsy, where are you roamin' to now? Think I want to climb up there and pry you out of the rocks? Come back here, for I get in your wig. Hooey, mother biddies, I'll whittle on your hoofs, first thing you know. You won't enjoy traveling so fast if you're a little tender-footed. That's better. Now you're acting like ladies. The air was redolent of sheep and sagebrush, and pink and amber streaks shot up to paint out the dimming stars. Bowers drew a deep breath of satisfaction. Oh, man, but sheep herding was a great life in summer, like drawing wages through a vacation. If those high society folks that the Denver Post told of Them worse than sodomites, steeped in sin and extravagance, could know the joys of getting up at half-past three in the morning and going down at ten to eat off a fat mutton. Bowers's rhapsody ended abruptly. He drew a hand across his eyes to clear his vision. Down below, where he was wont to look for the white top of the wagon, there was nothing but scattered wreckage. He heard the sound now that had awakened him-the detonation of a charge of dynamite. There was no need to go closer to learn the rest of the story. Bowers' face twisted in a queer grimace. He cried brokenly in a grief that can be understood fully only by the lonely. Poor little Mary, poor little fella, poor little innocent sheep that never done no harm to nobody. End of chapter 19 Recording by Richard Kilmer Rio Medina, Texas